You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Speak Together, the only national program focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne with 3CR on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Stick Together is broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation. There's a lot of discussion these days about the systemic inequities served up to male and female workers, how our society crafts systems based on the fairy tale of two parent families, a male breadwinner and dependent wife and children, that couples will be together into their retirement years and that all members of society will benefit from the division of labour which includes caring for the young, elderly and the sick. I say a fairy tale rather than an old norm because even in the past, women and children did it alone and many maintained the nuclear family model to the detriment of their safety and well-being. One of the key discussion points these days is the issue of inadequate superannuation to support women workers in retirement. Now, the benefits of super as a system isn't the focus here. Superannuation as a concept has established itself in Australia as a method of creating a comfortable retirement for workers over and above the age pension and over and above the enormous pool of investment money that the big end of town would like to get its mitts on. At the recent Women's Rights at Work conference in Melbourne, RAW, A representative from Australian Super got down to the nitty-gritty of women and super. One of the most astounding pieces of data was the drop in wages for women as they returned to work after having children, despite their education level. We'll hear from her later. But first, some union news. October saw the first workplace manslaughter charge being laid by WorkSafe under Victoria's new workplace manslaughter provisions in the OH&S Act. WorkSafe has charged the director of a stonemasonry business accused of forklift-related negligence with workplace manslaughter after a subcontractor was fatally crushed at a Somerton factory in October 2021. The 25-year-old subcontractor died after a loaded forklift being operated by the director on a sloping driveway tipped over and landed on him. The matter was listed for a filing hearing at the Melbourne Magistrates Court on the 2nd of November 2022. This follows the charging and imprisonment for at least 18 months of Gympie's small business owner director, Mr Geoffrey Owen, after being found guilty of the industrial manslaughter of his friend who was helping Mr Owen out as a favour 
highlighting the broad concept of worker that applies under all state and territory WHS laws. It was a first under Australian workplace health and safety laws. The prosecution alleged multiple breaches of duty against Mr Owen. Most notably, the business did not have any documented health and safety procedures. Mr Owen was operating the forklift unlicensed at his place of business and overloaded it with a heavy generator that tipped and fatally crushed his friend who was assisting him. The indictable offence was heard before a jury in the Queensland District Court. After a four-hour deliberation, the jury found that Mr Owen, who pleaded not guilty, had caused his friend's death by negligently operating the forklift. The case is significant in that negligence, albeit negligence of a gross kind, was the touchstone for evaluating the guilt of Mr Owen. The Queensland District Court also heard that safe alternative methods of unloading the generator were available at a low cost. Mr Owen was sentenced to a five-year jail term, suspended after 18 months of actual prison time for an operational period of five years, with the maximum penalty for the offence being 20 years imprisonment. Industrial manslaughter laws apply in the ACT, Victoria, the Northern Territory and Queensland, with a bill pending in New South Wales. The Financial Times reporting on the federal government's The Secure Jobs Better Pay Bill points out that the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union, RAFU, which plays a key role in torpedoing agreements at Coles and Bunnings, will have less influence than its rivals when applying the better-off overall boot test to workplace wages deals, as it is not a registered union. The provision defines employee representatives as a union registered under the Fair Work Act, shutting out RAFU and individual worker representatives. University of Adelaide professor Andrew Stewart said that just as the bill had a CFMEU clause effectively excluding the construction union from multi-employer bargaining, it also had a RAFU clause. I do think it's a concern precisely because of RAFU's history of exposing what were very serious problems in the boot, he said. It wouldn't prevent putting the view to the Commission and the Commission is not required by that provision to accept what is put as a common view, but it would certainly make it harder if the matter was in some doubt and Rafu was saying, this fails the boot, and SDA says, no, it passes it. Rafu's response to these mooted changes include the following statement. Boot is gone. In the election campaign, the ALP forced the LMP to promise no changes to the boot. They claimed boot meant every employee better off, and any change meant this was not going to see every employee better off. They couldn't have been more clear in their pre-election promise. Now elected, the ALP have created a new test, which is absolutely not the boot. They will strip boot of a prospective employee test. This means that when the Commission assesses an agreement, it will not assess how future employees will be impacted. McDonald's, 
Coles and every other exploiter of labour could grandparent penalty rates, casual loading, roster rights and other award conditions to current employees and strip every single right from future employees. This is far worse than even work choices. We will see returned the rotten deals inflicted by SDA on workers at McDonald's, Domino's, Pizza, Coles, Woolworths, KFC, Bunnings, Officeworks, Kmart, Big W and so many more. Millions of low-paid workers will have billions of dollars stripped from them. When these rotten deals are to be assessed, the voice of SDA will be the primary consideration for the Fair Work Commission, while the views of workers, RAFU and employers, will be given consideration. None of those, including employees' employers, will be given equal consideration to the SDA. The deals will also be assessed not by a line item assessment, but a flexible global assessment, which will allow vastly different conditions to offset losses in a deal. For example, a commissioner could determine the loss of a uniform allowance or a penalty rate is offset by some other entitlement entirely unrelated to the loss condition. The deals will be assessed considering only roster patterns, and kinds of work reasonably foreseeable at the time of the test. In effect, workers will have to prove an employer doesn't intend to use a different roster or type of work. For example, KFC might say they have no casual employees, so they don't have to pay a casual loading. An HR manager could say they have no intention of engaging casual employees. Lo and behold, Once the agreement with no casual loading is approved, KFC might decide to retrench all part-time employees and rehire them as casual workers. This could be a lawful way to avoid any casual loading. The purported protection to this is that workers could mount their own legal case to have the agreement assessed again by a reconsideration mechanism. This is a fix to a problem which does not currently exist. Workers will be required to run expensive cases over many months or years and in the meantime they will not get a cent of the wages stolen by the original deal. Industrial action will require a new protected action ballot order, a PABO, every three months. PABOs are unheard of anywhere in the world and are a fundamental handbrake on increasing wages because they massively limit the right to strike. Essentially, a complex application is made to the Fair Work Commission. An order dictates the steps which will be taken over the ballot period. Employers and unions create lists of workers. A ballot agent conducts a ballot and only when the ballot is declared is worker action authorised. At every stage, a boss can object to the process and create roadblocks. They do every week. The change will mean workers need to go through this process every three months, creating a huge organisational cost to unions, the Fair Work Commission and the Australian Electoral Commission. In order for this to work, Unions will effectively have to apply for a new order almost immediately after getting the first order. It is bureaucracy gone mad and trying to fix a problem that does not exist. 
To avoid doubt, there is no credible evidence of an employer anywhere having any issue with the current boot. There are just a series of aggrieved retail and fast food employers upset because RAFU has forced them to pay a billion dollars more per year in wages because their old rotten deals with the SDA have been stripped. Of course, despite the bill amending the Act being called the Secure Jobs Bill, it does nothing to improve the job security of casual workers. In truth, it only attacks casual workers. We end on a good news story. The Canap workers at the Port Melbourne plasterboard operation run by the world's biggest plasterboard manufacturer have won their battle to remove the labour hire casualisation clause into their agreement. This was achieved by strike action with CFMMEU members out on the grass for weeks on end. Here is CFMMEU organiser Kylie Brown. Yep, so for the last 40 or so days we've been down at the Canal Plasterboard Manufacturers. We've been supporting the boys down there. They were locked out after um, some grueling EBA negotiations. They started in May with um, a lot of back and forth from the company. We ended up coming to a bit of a stalemate and then the company decided to lock the boys out. So 40 days it took us to get the company to agree to some terms and conditions that we'd been fighting for and it's been a great win and the boys are super happy and we've marched them back in the gate a couple of days ago now. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. The most recent Women's Rights at Work conference held at the Melbourne ETU offices bought union women from across industries to discuss issues of equity and fight back. A representative of Australian superannuation gave an enlightening analysis of how super at the moment is not working for women. So first up, why super isn't delivering enough for women? Then what are the four factors behind this? And finally, what can be done? Let me go through a few numbers. It can be quite alarming when it comes to talking about the poverty that women can face when it comes to their retirement years. The average for a woman is $290,000 that they will have for their retirement, which sounds like a reasonable sum. But when you compare that to their male counterparts, they've got $360,000 in their superannuation. But what is extremely scary is that one in four women are retiring with no superannuation at all. So they're entirely dependent on what the government age pension will provide them, which at the moment for many women is age 67 when they can access that. And the figure that they receive as a single woman, $24,000 a year does not go very far. The average age that people plan to retire is age 65. But in reality, women actually retiring at age 55. So that's the reality. And that could be because they're made redundant and cannot get additional work because there's ageism in the workplace. Illness or illness. 
Doing work into your 60s that is very physical, it's just something you might not be able to do. And I meet women all the time in those positions. So it's a real challenge for people. On average, as I said, so women, they're retiring sooner than men, but as you would have seen with a life expectancy, women are expected to live longer than men. So you've actually got more years that you need to fund in retirement, but you've got starting off with a lower balance. The other thing, women are doing more of the unpaid work. So that's your childcare. That's your caring for your elderly parents as well. So I think it's about 90% of women that duty falls upon them. So it's a very small percentage of men looking after their parents in their elderly years. Significant sum of women that look after their disabled children as well, where it doesn't fall on the male counterpart to do that. So it's all these challenges that mean that women are not, not working. They're, they're still working but it's not work that gets any payment. So they're not getting any superannuation for that work that they're doing. So it's really an upward battle that they face just for doing a caring responsibility that is very worthwhile, but not financially, um, not financially viable. So there's really four key factors that impact the balance of women. And so starting off, one of those is your salary. So the gender pay gap is the probably the biggest influence to what happens with your, um, with your superannuation. Superannuation is based on a percentage of what you earn. So if you're earning less than your male counterparts, you're going to have less in your superannuation balance. Studies have shown that women and men, they sort of progress almost at the same when it comes to their income up until the age of about 28. And from there, women's balances seem to stagnate. So they're not going up any further men's continue to go up. And this is where the superannuation system, it's, a, it's currently working on the fact if you work, you'll get paid for your superannuation, but it's not factoring in any of those other areas where if you start at your 28th birthday, if you start looking after children or you don't progress to another job where you get paid more and get more into your super, it's not factoring that, that in. So it really has to reevaluate how it's going to operate going forward. The next part that it plays into is around part-time and casual work. So women predominantly fall into part-time and casual work. And that's often not because they're not interested in doing further work, but they have caring responsibilities that they need to factor in. So they might, they may fall into work as well where they're actually overqualified so that they're um, not getting paid as much but to factor in, you know, looking after their children or their, their parents as well. So this again influences what's happening with your, your superannuation. When women take time off to look after their children, when they go back to work, their income's halved. And then if they have a second child on average, it's halved once again. So it's getting lower and lower income to contribute to this super balance. Third point, is around taking time out of the workforce. So these gaps to look after children mean that you're not getting paid any superannuation during that time. So it's parental leave, taking time to look after family, looking after disabled relatives or children as well. As I said, it's a really crucial part. Look, caring is a crucial role. We definitely need these sorts of roles, but they're not paid for. They're not, um, they're not well valued in the communities. And there's really a two-pronged effect that impacts women when they take time off for the workforce as well. So one of them is that obviously you've got no super contributions going in while you're not getting paid. 
but the second is that you're not developing skills or being recognised for roles to get promotions or to extend your skills further. And so it really impacts them. So once they do return back to work, they're not building, not getting those opportunities to improve in the workplace and get high paid roles for additional super. And then the very last thing that is around the tax concessions. The incentive for having super is that the government will give you some tax concessions. If I'm sure people have heard of salary sacrifice before, putting extra money into your super and then you'll get a, a tax benefit for that. But that mostly goes to men because men have the capacity with their additional earnings to be able to salary sacrifice and benefit from those tax concessions. 70% of men that receive the tax concessions, so it's a wide, um, very, very in, much in their favour. So what do we really need to think about to make an improvement on this? The pay gap, the pay parity needs to be worked on in order to actually get improvements within your superannuation. So that's not necessarily something that your superannuation fund can manage, but that is something that will improve the super balances going forward. We need to improve the parental leave scheme so that male counterparts are actually interested in taking leave as well. It doesn't just primarily fall on the female partner in those relationships. We need to pay super guarantee on parental leave, so both employer paid parental leave and also the government parental leave as well and carers payments as well. That will all make a difference, a significant sum to those people that have lower superannuation balances. You might have heard of a co-contribution scheme many years ago. It was put into place, so if you put some money into your super, the government will give you an extra sum of money as well. That still exists, so we need to retain that, but we need to develop it further because what's happened over time, it was an encouragement to get people with lower balances to put some money in. The government will give you some money as well, but they've actually reduced what they'll give you, so it's not incentivizing people to the same degree that it used to. So it's really important that, yes, we keep some of the great things that have been put in place, but keep them at, a, um, at the appropriate level that it actually works for people. They're encouraged to do this. What we need to encourage women um, to do and support women to build their financial literacy, so whether this is talking to children, um, having super funds come out to the workplace, to be able to educate women about this, because unfortunately I meet lots of women They've never been given the opportunity to learn much about their finances and to help better manage that. And it's not until later in life when you are coming up to retirement where they're starting to realise, I should have thought about this earlier or that their opportunities just aren't there. So it's something that we really need to support and it's sort of a simple thing that we can look at. Some of the regulators around superannuation industry bodies in order to try and um, you know, improve the, the superannuation system. So, what they've been encouraging at the moment and to keep and perhaps extend is what's called the low, um, let me get it right, they call it listo for short, but it's essentially if you're on a low income that you get your superannuation, when you get a super contribution, you get charged a tax, oh, there's a tax taken out of it at 15%. But if you're on a low income, you might not be getting taxed, you shouldn't be getting taxed at all. So the government actually, after you do your tax return, they put that money back into your superannuation for you. So that's there at the moment, but perhaps it should be considered whether it should be extended going forward. So it covers a wider, um, people up to a higher level of income. It's currently caps out at $37,000, so it's not a significant sum, 
we do need to look at um, ways of improving that going forward to capture more people um, to improve their balance. At the moment, we've got our superannuation guarantee increasing from, over, from time to time. So it's just gone up to 10.5%. The aim is to get it up to 12% by 2025. Recently, we've just had a change, 1st of July. If you earned, prior to 1st of July, if you earned only $450 in a month, so you're doing casual work, you can get any super paid on that. So it, your employer didn't have to pay if you earned less than $450 per month. From now, so 1st of July this year, you do ha have to be paid on any, any earnings that you have if you're over 18 when you're earning that superannuation. So that's going to impact 300,000 Australians who are doing casual work, most of those are women, so it's a really important thing. As I said, we are still working on um, making the government pay superannuation on their parental leave scheme, so that will make a huge difference to women if that can be factored in. It was looking like it was going to be factored in with the current government, but it has it's not going ahead yet, so we have to keep working on that going forward. And then the other thing, as I mentioned, the contribution scheme. So making sure that we keep that and we develop it going forward. So really, I think the thing that I do want to get across that superannuation at the moment is working really well. Like it's definitely great that you get to get to your retirement. You might have your superannuation balance, but it's really benefiting people that stay in continuous work. They work full time. This is typically men that achieve this. They work full time, but they'll have that balance in their superannuation that they can have a comfortable retirement. At the moment it's not supporting people that do take career breaks, um, that might have to take significant periods of time out of leave. I always use my mum as an example for this because she spent probably the best part of 20 years looking after children once you factor in our age gaps. Started working once I got to, to high school, did some cleaning work, casual work, did that for a few years and then her mum became sick so she became the primary carer for her mum so back out of work then back into work and then she was sort of entering into her retirement years and her superannuation balance was $30,000 once and you just think where's $30,000 going to go like it's not a significant sum at all so we really do need to help help women um, going forward in order to be able to, um, to actually achieve their retirement goals and work with the government to make sure that it's actually a superannuation scheme that helps all Australians, not just for those that are building their wealth. That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with the program, the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or at your favourite podcast site. And you can contact the producers at the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. My name is Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. And until next time, stick together and keep safe.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.